And now, Christ in Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. Today's episode of Persuasion is sponsored in part by Lifeway's Christian Standard Bible, a translation that presents the truth of God's Word with accuracy and clarity. The CSB equips readers for lifelong discipleship with hundreds of designs to choose from at csbible.com. I'll put those CSB details in the show notes for you all so we can move right into today's conversation. We're just starting a new series called Finding Common Ground. And each of these episodes, we're going to look at a different aspect of natural revelation and how the world around us gives us the common ground that we're seeking and really that we desperately need with our fellow humans. And now, Hannah, when we talked about this in our intro last time, uh, the thing that has stuck with me since then is how hard it is to find this common ground. Because so often we assume that where we are standing is the common ground. And if everyone would just step on over to where we are, things would just be so much better. Have you thought of that before? I have. And and I'll be honest, there, there was a point in my thinking where I was really bemoaning lost categories, um, lost sense of shared truth, mm. you know, lost, um, you know, certainty around basic things. And then I realized that the goal is not thinking the same things. The goal is a shared way of thinking. Mm. The goal is a shared kind of set of values and assumptions about how we'll go through the process. And and that really was a correction for me because even if we're trying to find common ground, even the people closest to us, that we would say, these people share my assumptions, values, and categories, they're still not standing in exactly the same place we are. No. Like, I, that's just a reality of uh, space and time, you yeah, know? Yeah. So, well, that's interesting, too, because if we have, like, parameters set on what common ground is... I mean, if you really slice and dice everyone's ideas and ideals and values, really the only person that's going to be on common ground is you, yourself, because no two people. And even then. Even then, I change my mind all the time. And, and you know, I, I, you know, can change on a dime. Like I, I've learned something new and I realize, oh, I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. And then I'm like, I've got to adjust. And so I think that... We we love this idea that, oh, we're all going to think the same because then we know where everyone is and it feels safe and it feels like we're all together and united, but that's not reality. And so I think even redefining what it means to find common ground would be helpful so that we aren't setting ourselves up for disappointment and failure. 
Right. And that's really what we want to do in this series is we're not so much saying here's where you need to stand on an issue or here's what you need to think. It's more about what are the underlying shared realities, uh, the shared assumptions and presuppositions that we can at least say to each other, this is how we're going to move Mm. through life. Mm -hmm. This is how we're going to approach the question or approach um, the solution. Even these fundamental things must be understood. And so we're looking for what are those realities that no matter where you fall, on a particular issue, at the end of the day, we can say, this is common. Mm -hmm. This is something that all of us will face. All of us must understand. This must factor into our conversation and ultimately the solutions we come to. I think that having these um, baseline shared realities is helpful because it does give us a sense of like, oh, there is something solid under our feet. There is something solid, but it it may just not be the things that we thought that they would be. Um, and, and that gives us some stability there because we will be able to at least have these shared realities can give us some stability under our feet so we don't feel like we are quite so unsettled or uneasy. And I think that's essentially a a problem of the digital age. Like all human beings in all time and all society, we have disruptions, right? We can look historically and see um, things fragmenting at different Mm -hmm. points. But one of the things I've experienced in the digital age is this sense of unmooring, Yes, this sense yep. of weightlessness and a lack of gravity. Because you're existing in a space where so many uh, fundamental assumptions are being challenged, because you're disembodied, because you're operating in this kind of weightless environment, it's even more essential that we have those things that would ground mm-hmm. us, those things that, for lack of a better term, bring us back to earth. Yes. Those things that really just, I don't want to say shock us, but remind us of very basic human things and plant our feet on the ground again. I love all of these um, metaphors that we're using here because (laughs) this episode being called dust to dust. (laughs) I think that this is exactly the setup that we need here for this conversation is what is it that grounds us? What is it that plants our feet on the ground? And a lot of this has to do with the basics that we are born, we live our life, and then we die. And those bookends of birth and death, those things we share, right? Not one of us is going to escape those realities. And and between those bookends, that's where we can say, oh, this is common. This is shared. We all experience this. And within those bookends, a lot happens, but we're all in this together. We are all on this road. And I think that that, in some ways, is sobering. Like It brings us back to the reality of, oh, this is life, and this is what we deal with. Right. And we have a really 
wonderful opportunity even this week to kind of face one of these realities. Um, Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. It's the, the beginning of Lent, and within the Christian liturgical calendar, it's the day set aside to reflect on this concept that we are dust and to dust we will return, mm -hmm. that ashes to ashes. And so as part of that practice and that liturgy, um, you know, Christian worshipers will have ashes applied to their forehead um, in the shape of a cross. And the ashes are really representative of the dust or the dirt from which we are made and to which one day we all will return. And so it's this really profound moment to stop and take stock and consider a really fundamental thing that is common to all humanity. And that's that we are born from the dust and we're going back to mm -hmm. it. And nobody is going to be able to escape this. When I am out and I see people on Ash Wednesday and see ashes on on foreheads, it is jarring and um it's hard for me to look away like, oh, yeah, they've got the, the ashes on their forehead. And it reminds me of that, that reality. It reminds me of the, the need to turn and remember the eternal because we are living in this time-bound life and in these bodies that are decaying. And so I feel like it's this interesting um, duality of both we are finite, and yet we turn to God who is eternal. And um, I feel like that puts everything in its proper perspective. Like it gives you a, a chance to be jarred out of the things that we typically do in life, almost to avoid thinking about our death and what is coming. And so I feel like that day, I don't know, it always feels like you're more alert, almost like you're more aware of what life is really leading to. Yes. And I think what it is an invitation to fundamentally is humility mm -hmm. and repentance. It's that awareness of our limitations. It's that awareness of we're not God. Yeah. And yeah. we didn't bring ourselves into this world and we can't even know the day that we will be leaving right. it. And so there's that base level humility that says, okay, you're a human being. You live in a community of human beings. You live in a timeline of human beings. And all of you need to remember that you are just human beings and you're no better than each other. Mm -hmm. And there are limits on you, both um, within time, space and reality, but also this call to recognizing the ways that we err within those limits. Ooh, yeah. So it's not just a humility to recognize where you are in the world, but it's an invitation to repentance for all the times that we have forgotten our true limits of our humanity and try to act outside of them. All the times we have acted in pride, all the times we have raised ourselves up, not just against God, but against each other and, and have behaved toward each other in ways that really for, you know, really show us to think that we're better than each yeah. other. And so this image of the soil and Ash Wednesday really is a fantastic starting place to lay a foundation for a common life together. 
and a common ground because we're we're kind of leveling that mm-hmm. ground and saying there's a common humanity, but there's a common limitation on all of us. The ability to reset and um, come back to what is true and real about each one of us and the ways that we we sin against each other and and try to act beyond who we are um, as as limited, frail humans. I think that's so important, um, especially as we are finding common ground, looking to where that is. In this moment in time, I, I think one of the things that has been so bothersome to me in the political sphere and the things that we've been seeing in our country is that we so want the ground that we are standing on to be the ground that everyone else is standing on, that whenever someone else has a different idea or, or opinion, we automatically create them or paint them as the enemy that needs to be stopped. And that dehumanizing of them is in turn, uh, in a sense, we're trying to elevate who we think we are. And that um, desire to kind of put levels and categories on thoughts and ideas and people is a way of putting them down and elevating ourselves in a way that isn't proper. And looking at Ash Wednesday and our it gives us this opportunity to go low and remember that we don't have all the answers and therefore we cannot hold this over other people as if they all need to come to where we are because we have it all together. So I think what you're saying here, Hannah, is so important um, for us to sort through what are our limits and how are we behaving in ways that go beyond what we've been assigned to or or given by God. Yeah. And I love that you bring in that word behave. How do we behave? Mm -hmm. Because it it would be very easy for us to think of these questions and ideas in a very detached theological or esoteric sense, but but it really comes down to practically you cannot find common ground with people if you don't know how to say words like, I don't know, <laughs> or I'm sorry, or I was wrong. Like if you don't have those phrases in your vocabulary because you cannot operate out of humility or repentance, there is no way, there is no possible way to reach common ground. And so when I look at the division that's happening, you know, in our society at this moment, I realize that a lot of it is coming from, we just have radically different worldviews. Mm. We have radically different goals and value systems, and they are conflicting. But our inability to work through those differences has nothing to do with that. Our inability to have conversations, to think toward the common good, that is rooted in something profoundly more basic. And that's our, quite frankly, our pride and our inability to just say to each other, tell me more. I don't understand your position. Please help me understand. And to say, 
I'm wrong in this area. I will receive your correction. I will, you know, repent mm-hmm. of, you know, when 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 a ideological opponent points out a true area where I am have been wrong, right? My thinking is flawed. The humble repentant person says, "You're right." That practice, though, Hannah, I'm I'm processing that <laughs> because I hear what you're saying and I agree with it, but oh, it's so hard to do, and it's it's hard because sadly it's not practiced enough, and so it's so foreign. Because I think that um, when it comes to taking the cores of our beliefs and then walking them out in the world in a in a hum- in a in a humble way that's where the practice is needed and that's where it's hard is it's easier when everyone agrees and you all are going to practice it in the same way but what do you do in the public sphere when not everyone thinks the same way you still have to practice humility and come at this with with love and with care and seeing the other as human and as someone to care for and to value. Um, I think I'd mentioned this last time, but definitely with the pandemic and um, leading up to the pandemic, um, I actually had three dear people in my life die. And so it was like, there's death and then the pandemic. And it just feels like death is with me right now and um, on my mind. And I, I always think, Oh, to be cruel to someone because they aren't on your idea of common ground. It's like, that's a person who is, we're all heading in the same place. Like, let's all be kind knowing that we're all meeting the same end. (laughs) And so we have to remember that not one of us is going to escape this. And we're all, that idea of we're all walking each other home, like we're all on the same route. And so let's have a little bit of tenderness and kindness along the way, because we need it. We're all struggling with different things. Yes. And I would add to that, that there are going to be a lot of people who don't do this. And the fact that they don't do it is not reason for me to excuse myself from doing it. Yeah, I think that recognizing this as a distinctly Christian practice and recognizing it within the, the celebration of Ash Wednesday is to say Christians behave differently because they are holding to different truths and realities and they have a safety um, within their relationship to God and in Christ. And that safety allows us to act in ways that are not typical for human beings. And, And I think while I can make an argument that this way is the way that we are intended to behave, we also have to acknowledge that it is not the way most people behave. Mm -hmm. It's not the way we naturally behave. And so in saying these things and calling us to this way of humility and repentance and seeking common ground, um, we understand that we're modeling something for people that they may not necessarily know yet. Well, Hannah, I love this picture that you're painting of of modeling a different way. And um, it, it turns all of this conversation more toward hope, which I so appreciate. Um, but And it reminds me of lots of different things that you've written in Turning of Days. Um, this 
this whole idea of humility and how it's it is about limitations, but it's not just about limitations. It's also about understanding those limitations so that we can live a certain way. And there's hope in that, right? There's it's not all negative. Um, I thought it would be great, though. Would you mind going ahead and reading parts of um, this section and turning of days for us? Because I think it's going to speak so well to this part of our conversation. This is from the second essay in the book. Um, it's set in spring, and it's um, really just a meditation on what soil or dust or dirt is. Um, when we think of that in terms of Ash Wednesday, we often think of it as our limitations and that humility. But there's also another angle to it. Um, so this is from that essay. I'm out in our little patch this afternoon, thinking that dirt is a wondrous thing. Because if I wanted to, I could take a pot, fill it with soil, and stick a plant in it. I could even take part of this garden and create a smaller garden somewhere else. I could even take that smaller garden inside, and with proper care, it would still grow. Potted plant seems too domesticated a term for miracle. I spot a bit of green in the upturned soil. It's chickweed a seed carried by wind and bird, and it's already put down roots in my garden. I dislodge it with the tip of my boot, but I know this is a temporary measure. Kick the plant to the side, but wherever it lands, it will just put its roots down again, as if some force is drawing it toward the earth. I also know that it's just a matter of time before this entire plot erupts with life, whether I plant it or not. In many ways, gardening is a race to see who stakes claim to the soil first. Whose plants get to grow and where? Mine or nature's? Because even though I can't see it, the ground is right now teeming with life and the potential for life. And perhaps the best way to understand the soil under my feet is to think of it as an ecosystem painstakingly designed to support flourishing. It regulates moisture and provides a home for microbes. It filters pollutants and reserves nutrients. And if that's not enough, it literally roots plants to the surface of the earth. Don't let the ubiquity of dirt fool you. It is a wonder. Which gives me pause when I think that God, when he wanted to make a creature in his own likeness, stooped down and took a handful of dirt. I once had someone object to my choice to describe human beings this way because she felt that it devalued us. I thought, but did not say, that she did not understand soil. To be marked as soil is no slight to be marked as soils, to speak of potential and life and vitality. This does not mean that all soil is healthy. In fact, the very ground from which we were taken was eventually cursed, and so today, poor soil quality is a primary cause of poor yield, especially if the soil has been mismanaged, abused, or stripped of its biodiversity. But the good news about soil, even poor soil, is that it can be cultivated. You may not be able to control the kind of ground you inherit, but you can control what you do with it. The good news about those who've been made from the earth is that we too can be cultivated. Because there's another story Jesus tells his disciples. A landowner has a fig tree that isn't producing fruit, so he decides to cut it down. Why should it use up the soil, he reasons. But a wise servant steps in and says, Sir, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. So often we focus on poor quality, lack of yield, 
and throw up our hands in defeat. In reality, the real questions are more fundamental. Do you want a good crop? Do you want to see the fruit of goodness in your life and in those you love? Do you want to see a harvest of righteousness? Don't cut the tree down. Cultivate the soil. See what happens. And I can't help but think of all the ways I've been worked over, how many ways and how many times my heart has been broken open, the weeds stripped out, and the rocks dislodged. I can see how the father's working his soil like any faithful gardener would. I can see how he's tending his bit of earth, how he's cultivating the ground until it's honest and good and ready to receive his word. And I'm confident that just as he did in Eden, he will cause even the smallest of gardens to flourish with life. So many things in that that I love. But Hannah, I think one of the things that is most important in our conversation for today is this idea that the soil, the dirt from which we have come and our lives in terms of like looking at them as a plot of land, there's so much that can happen and so much that can be cultivated, but it's going to take some work and it's going to take some stripping and some digging and some time. And so those concepts, they're hope-filled, but they're also calling us to to dig in, get our hands dirty. It's calling us to act. And um, I think that would be kind of a curious thing for us to talk about just in these last few minutes of our discussion today. What is it going to look like for us to have this um, idea of common ground and recognizing that we are we are but dust and yet there's so much hope in the dirt. What, what are we going to do with that? Well, I love that you focused on the, the work and the kind of just rolling up our sleeves and committing to mm-hmm. it, and committing to finding common ground, because I think that choice has to be based on the belief that you think something can happen, mm-hmm. that, that you, you are looking at the ground and you see it for all its difficulties. But you also have this hope that it can change. And I think one of the things that I'm seeing, one of the prevailing trends that I'm seeing now that really discourages me is writing other people off. Mm, Yeah. Yep. And losing hope, not just in our ability to find each other again, but that, well, this person will never understand Mm -hmm. or this person will never be capable of that conversation and so we stop doing the work because we have lost hope that another person could change Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think that's just writing people off and and i think it is actually undermining what scripture says about who we are as people and the ability of our hearts and minds and lives to be cultivated and changed. The one line there where you say, whose plants are going to win, mine or nature's. And I get this picture of we have seeds, we have capability, we have ideas, we have things that we can nurture, plant, cultivate, and wait for harvest. We have something we can do here, or we can just let it sit and let other things crop up. Um, And I love that there is hope in that we can go about planting goodness and planting life. That's going to require us to see that there is potential and that there 
there is a way for us to fill our space with um, plants that are going to yield a good harvest. And all of that is going to require us trusting that if we plant the good things, that they will produce a harvest in time. Um, and and not giving way to, well, I'm just going to give up and just let things be the way that they are. That is a call to seeing what God's promises are in daily life and trusting that they will come about. And that's that modeling thing that we talked about earlier. We're going to model a different way. And it may sound crazy that we trust that God can do a good work and and create these miracles. But that's the modeling, I think, that we're being called to. Right. And I think you say something very important about defining your plot. You said cultivating your plot. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the challenges to the digital age particularly is it stripped us of a sense of where our plot is. And what are the boundaries on which conversations we're responsible for, who we're responsible to be having those conversations with. And I know for myself, one of the things that the turmoil of the last few years and even particularly the last month has um, pressed into me is to say, who are the people I am called to? Mm-hmm. Not just I have this public platform and yes, I speak these things out into the world, but there are particular people and particular ra- relationships that have been strained and divided by the larger fragmentation. Who am I responsible to cultivate? Mm-hmm. In my own heart, too, like my own heart being cultivated. But what is my plot? And as a person who's been in gardening a long time, I would warn against cutting too much of the earth for your plot. Mm. Start small. Start with one or two or three relationships. Don't argue with the stranger online. Spend that energy and that hope and that humility investing, not just throwing your seeds on the wayside out the car window as you're driving (laughs) along the highway. That's a good picture. But in (laughs) intentional cultivation of a small plot of earth. And it might even be one pot. It might be one person, one relationship. Find common ground with that one person and cultivate these kinds of virtues and practices within that space. I love all of these gardening and earthy metaphors that we've been using. I'm I'm not an accomplished gardener at all, but I I do love pots and potted things, especially out on my porch come spring and summer. So I feel like that gives me a hope like, oh, I can do a pot. I can do just one clay pot. <laughs> I can handle that and I won't I won't you know, totally fail. And so this gives me hope and gives me a picture of like, tend this thing and nurture it, whatever it is right here in front of me. So I love that. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode of Persuasion. We're so glad all of you were here to um, start this conversation with us. Be sure to come back next week. We're going to get into the the second 
discussion of this Finding Common Ground series. And although we want you to cultivate those individual personal relationships, if you want, you can also find us um, on Twitter at PersuasionCAPC. Um, you can catch us there or in the Christ and Pop Culture Members Forum. And we'll try to keep the conversation about helping you figure out how to cultivate these specific plots or relationships that you have. Um, we'll try to use that larger conversation to uh, facilitate and equip you for those smaller, more specific relationships that you have. As always, if you um, are not a member of Christ and Pop Culture, you can become a member for just $5 a month and you support this conversation and all of the other good work happening at Christ and Pop Culture. Thanks again to LifeWay's Christian Standard Bible for supporting this conversation. Persuasion is produced by Jonathan Clausen, and it's part of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. You can find all the shows at ChristandPopCulture.com, or you can go to iTunes and search for Christ and Pop Culture to see all the shows there. And thank you for listening to Persuasion. We appreciate it, and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at ChristandPopCulture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. Name.